Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, we are grateful. Grateful that the abundance of your mercy and blessing poured out upon us. We give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this moment. We give you thanks for your presence with us. We give you thanks for each other gathered in this place. And we pray pray now, gracious God, that as we open our hearts to you in this moment of preaching, that we might receive good news in the depth of our being, that we might find strength for the journeys that we face, that we might find wisdom for the decisions that we must make, that we might find you leading and guiding and loving along the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the year 2000, Mark Randolph and Reed Hastings were the leaders of a three-year-old movie rental company that was losing money far faster than they could make it. In a last-ditch effort to save their struggling endeavor, the two made a desperate plea to the industry's leading company, Blockbuster. Randolph and Hastings, you see, believed that they'd learned a few things about how the internet was changing the movie rental business. So they pitched the idea of bringing their company's growing expertise in this matter to the table and taking over Blockbuster's online presence. Their asking price for their company was $50 million. Randolph describes what happened next. Through Reed's pitch and our CFO's wind-up, I had been watching Blockbuster's CEO. I had seen him use all the tricks that I had also learned over the years. Lean in, make eye contact, nod slowly when the speaker turns in your direction, Frame questions in a way that makes it clear you're listening. But now that Reed had named a number, I saw something new, something I didn't recognize. His earnest expression slightly unbalanced by an upturning at the corner of his mouth. It was tiny, involuntary, and vanished almost immediately. But as soon as I saw it, I knew what was happening. He was struggling not to laugh. Well, following such a reaction of nearly being laughed out of the conference room, Randolph wasn't surprised when Blockbuster turned down the proposal. The industry leader would continue to focus its energy on brick-and-mortar stores and late fees. Do you remember those late fees? Investors love those late fees. Customers, not so much, but late fees were a big part of Blockbuster's business. By the time Blockbuster's CEO realized that Randolph and Hastings really did have a sense of the direction in which the movie rental business was going, it was too late for him and for Blockbuster. He was fired in 2005, Blockbuster filed for bankruptcy in 2010, and as of today, there's only one brick-and-mortar Blockbuster store still standing in the United States, and this is true. It's in Oregon, and it's next to a cannabis dealer, which is just kind of an incredible part of the story, isn't it? Randolph and Hastings Company, however, is in pretty good shape. As of the close of the market on Friday, their company is now worth over $126 billion. Their company is Netflix. Well, 
The story of Blockbuster's missed opportunity caught my attention because I see it as illustrating the vital importance of vision and discernment, not only in business, but in all corners of our lives. It's an interesting story because even a decade after the company's failure, the thing that it did, the product that it offered, remains popular, even more so than in Blockbuster's heyday. Customers are still very willing to pay some money for the convenience of being able to watch their favorite movies at home, not having to go to the movie theater, but just queuing it up and watching it in the comfort of your own home. That means that Blockbuster always had something that people valued, but the company failed to discern critical changes in how people would access that very thing. They acted as though renting a movie would always involve going to a store, making a selection among the choices displayed there, and paying a penalty if you brought it back after 5 o'clock the next day. They didn't have a vision for how technology and other changes would upend that business model and bring incredible change to their business forever. Now, it seems to me that those of us who are invested in and care about the Christian faith would do well to learn something from this story because the transformation over the last generation in churches and in the place that church has in people's lives is even more dramatic than changes in the movie business. It's hard not to view the number of struggling, shrinking, and closing congregations in our area and across our country as an epidemic. And it's also quite natural in the times in which we live to wonder how all of this happened. How did this come to be? Did churches that were once full on Sunday morning stop doing the things that made them so attractive? Are there just more people who are turned off by the gospel these days? Have high-profile scandals and institutional breakdowns just become too heavy of a cross to bear for formerly would-be seekers? I think probably answering those kind of questions is really just the start of how we might get and how we might dig in to understand some of the forces at play in church and culture today. However, for our purposes this morning, I want to focus on lessons that I think we can draw from this Netflix blockbuster story, a spiritual parallel to this business story, as it were. Because I think it's a fair question for for us to ask, is it possible that we as church folk have confused the way, the means by which we expect people to develop a vital and meaningful faith in Jesus Christ with faith itself? Do we still have something value to share? Do we still have a gospel that can change lives? Do we still profess faith in a Savior who loves and extends to mercy mercy and forgiveness to all? Do we still possess those things? But have we just insisted that people access those things in a way that's become increasingly cumbersome and even irrelevant to their experience. Have we made our shared ministry the religious equivalent of staring at row up on row of VHS and DVD boxes while we lament erroneously that people in the neighborhood just don't watch movies anymore? The fact that most churches measure themselves by the number of people they can get in the same room at the same time on the same day indicates that maybe that blockbuster analogy is a bit more applicable than we might like to admit. So what are we to do? 
about all of this. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Bishop Bickerton came here, and if you were a part of the discussion that he had on that Friday night, you know that these are big and immense questions. There's a lot going on. But for a church, for a nation, for a world, for a family, for an individual, questions about how we got to where we are and what we're going to do now that we are here are always big questions. They're always questions that demand honesty. They're usually questions that are hard to answer because we have to be honest about some mistakes and missteps we've made along the way. We have to acknowledge that certain things are beyond our control. We have to acknowledge that we don't have all of the answers. And that's a bit unnerving to say the very least. But these questions always come back to issues of vision and discernment. And that brings us at last to the scriptures that are before us this morning. In Joshua's eighth chapter, the general and his army approached the city named Ai, the second city that they would encounter as they were moving in to the promised land. The first, of course, was Jericho. And it was there outside that city that God began to reveal to Joshua how they would take the city. And Joshua said, God, I know what to do. I've been here before. I know. Yada, yada, yada. I walk around the city. We blow our trumpets. We shout on the seventh day and you take care of the rest, right? And God says, no, that's not what you're going to do here. You're going to distract the people. They're going to run out of the city and then you're going to take it. That's not what's written there. That's the gist of the story. But you get the point. What happens at I is an incredibly different approach to the problem of taking a city that we found in Jericho. As, uh, it, 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 it's, Joshua had this previous experience. Joshua had this previous experience of knowing what God could do, of seeing what God could do, of experiencing what God could do firsthand. But if Joshua had allowed himself to believe that that was the only way that God could bless him, if that was the only way God could show up in their situation, if that was the only way that God was going to bring blessing to the people, well, then he'd be the fool marching around the city while everybody else walked right in the front gate. See, he had to discern. He had to be tuned in to the moment, not resting on what happened in the past. He had to cultivate a relationship with God in the here and now to speak and to listen so that he might follow faithfully where God was leading him. A similar thing happened to Jesus and his disciples. Ironically, it was near Jericho where God once sent the walls stumbling down. And as Jesus and his disciples were leaving that place, a blind man named Bartimaeus began to call out for Jesus to help him. And others in the crowd, perhaps even the disciples, wanted Jesus to move along. But Jesus stopped and said, bring that man over to me. And the disciples grabbed the man and they said, Bart, you're in for a treat. We've seen him do this before. It's going to involve some spit and it gets a little bit weird, but you're going to get your sight back. And they bring Bartimaeus to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus says, I want to see again. And Jesus says, okay, go. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he began to see and he followed Jesus. The same kind of miracle the blind man in both stories saw again had his sight restored. But Jesus did it in a different way. And if Bartimaeus had said, no, 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 I've heard how you do this, Jesus. I'm not going to open my eyes until I feel that spit and that mud on my face. He'd be the fool with perfectly good vision walking around 
with his eyes closed because he wasn't tuned in, wasn't dialed in to what God was doing right there, right now. Not discerning what was, right, what was happening before him. No spit, no mud, no weirdness, just healing. That's what Jesus offered Bartimaeus. You see, at Jericho and I, the grace and the blessing remained the same. In the two healings of blindness that the disciples witnessed, the grace and the blessing remained the same. The vision for ministry remained the same. The expectation of what God would and could do did not change. But the steps to bring that vision to fruition needed to be discerned. God's desire for God's people remained the same in each scenario. God wanted to bless them. God wanted to bring healing and hope and deliverance and the end of their wanderings to bear in their life. But the means by which that grace would be accessed, that changed. And if the people involved insisted that God could only do what God had previously done in the exact way that God had done it, well then, is anybody still holding on to their stock in Blockbuster? We've got to discern what God is up to. We've got to lean in into trust and hope that the vision that God uh, presents us with is life-giving and affirming and transformative. But we have to discern. We have to open our eyes and our hearts to figure out how we're going to get there. Strong and courageous faith teaches us that if we want to know where we are and how we're going to get to where we want to be, and that's true for us as a church, as a nation, as a world, as individuals, as families, then our hearts must be open to the wisdom and to the direction from God made available and revealed to us right here, right now. We need to glimpse God's vision for us right here right now. We need to use what God gives us to discern a faithful way forward right here and right now. And as we glimpse that vision and search out that path, let us always hold fast to the promise that always rings true, that nothing, no misstep, no mistake, that nothing, no past experience, no love gained, no love lost, that nothing, Nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is why we call this good news, still good news for you and for me. Let's live our lives then in such a way that others may know that it's good news for them too. Thanks be to God then for this good news always. Amen and amen.